Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When the Iranian Revolution took hold in January 1979, it saw the birth of an Islamic regime, one that suppressed human rights, imprisoned young, impassioned and highly educated students, and set the nation on a course to decades of hostilities with the West. And these relations have brought Iran and the West close to war on a number of occasions. Today, Iran is even strengthening its ties with Russia, helping with the war in Ukraine, and once again brutally suppressing its own people. And so with all of this in mind, I wanted to take a deep dive into the history of the Iranian Revolution as a key turning point, a pivotal point in modern history. To do this, I've invited Nazrin Parvaz onto the Warfare podcast, and as a result, this is far from your normal episode. Nazrin is a survivor of post-revolution Iran. She was sentenced to death for attending the wrong meeting at the wrong time, and for her role in protesting against the government, she was subject to torture before miraculously being released in the 1990s and making her way to the UK. And so it's from Nazrin that we get a glimpse of life inside Iran and the ruthlessness of the regime. It's for this reason that I give you forewarning that this episode contains content that some people might find upsetting. But here now is the remarkable Nazrin Parvaz on the Iranian Revolution. Hi Nazrin, welcome to the Warfare Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. It's a difficult time for relations between Iran and the West at the moment, from protests and police violence across the country to Iran's continued role in supplying weapons to Russia for its offensive war against Ukraine. So it's, it's safe to say that relations have hit a generational low. And it's for that reason that I wanted to invite you onto the podcast to tell your history, your story. Perhaps you can take us back to those months between January 78 and February 79, where I suppose the story of modern Iran begins when the Shah leaves power and the revolution takes hold. How do you think Iran changed over that period? It changed a lot, but we can't forget that Western governments, especially America, played a role to bring Islamists to power in Iran, but the Shah's time was over. And when they decided, I think it was January 1979, they had a conference in Guadeloupe and decided that because people stood against the Shah, because of poverty, censorship, all these people stood against the Shah, 
the Western governments realized they have to introduce a new alternative. So they helped Khomeini and they taught when they helped Khomeini and Islamists to get into power, they would give the West uh, oil. But as you know, many of the regime changes by America, I mean, they were not successful. And after the regime change, they couldn't have access to things they wanted. So the Islamists took power, and very soon Khomeini announced, I mean, less than a month, he announced women have to have hijab. The next day, thousands of women poured into the street against his announcement. And he said, oh, I didn't mean to cover all your body. I meant to just, if you'd like to have a scarf, things like that. But then very soon, less than two years, they made it a law that women go out with scarf in public uh, places like offices, hospitals, uh, universities, schools. Women had to cover their hair, otherwise they would be sacked. And so many women were sacked because they didn't comply with the rule. And the thing is, women were the first target. Then they started attacking Kurdistan because they didn't vote to uh, Islamic uh, government, yes or no, because there was a vote. So, so there's major changes that take place then between the Shah's departure, which in January 1979 was kind of branded as a vacation, but I think everyone knew that they were fleeing and leaving the country, the Shah's farewell, you could say. Yeah. And then Hominy returns and is greeted by millions, but it sounds like things turn sour very quickly, especially with this suppression of women's rights. At what point did you become involved in these protests? I became politically active a few months after the regime took power. I became active because of the misogynistic laws they started to force on women. That is, uh, say, summer of 1979. And I was arrested in mid-1982. And I was in prison until mid-1990. So you were in prison for peaceful protest for eight years. But take us through that day. What is it that got you arrested? I was waiting to see a friend because, you know, I became a supporter of a socialist group and I wasn't even a member, you know, I was only a supporter. And that day I was uh, waiting to see my contact and he was arrested and I didn't know he was arrested. He was tortured and he was taken to my appointment and I mean he came with his interrogators and yeah I was arrested and I was taken to the joint committee interrogation center there I was tortured until I was paralyzed I remained paralyzed for about three weeks a month later my head was bashed against the wall and as a result of that I developed a brain tumor the tumour was extracted uh, in 2012 in London. 
I was in that interrogation center for six months. They killed many prisoners under torture there. They used that interrogation center for 20 years. But despite this, in 2003, they turned it into a prison museum called a Pratt Museum. And they say they never used it. Only the Shah's regime used it. You know, regarding the current situation, we wanted the same things that this young generation wants now. Many women of my generation struggled against the compulsory hijab and freedom of expression, and we were butchered. It was the early years of the Islamic regime, and people didn't know how dangerous it was. But now people know too well about the regime. The people in the streets are fed up with the sexual apartheid, poverty, the lack of freedom, and they want to get rid of the regime. And they do this despite knowing, as you say, about the risks to their lives, their liberty and their freedom. Can you take us through what the judicial process was like for you once you were arrested and charged? Because this must have happened to so many thousands of women across the country during that time. And like you say, it continues to happen over the decades and into today. Was this a kangaroo court situation? There was just simply a judge handing down disproportionate sentences? Because if I remember correctly from reading your history, you were sentenced to death. Yes. You know... At that time, because we were very young, we were against the religious regime and we wanted secularism, equality between men and women, these things, and hundreds of thousands of people were arrested. From um, 1980, for a few years, they published the names of prisoners they executed every night. They published their names in their newspapers, and despite that it was very painful to make sure our friends are not among the executed ones, you know, check those names. The number of arrests were so high that when I was taken to Joint Committee Intervention Center, they didn't have empty cell. They put me in a corridor, and there were other prisoners in the corridor, and someone was watching 24 hours to make sure we didn't talk to each other. We were blindfolded 24 hours a day or night. I mean, even when we were eating or sleeping, we were blindfolded. So the main torture was bastinado, which is heating on the sole of prisoner's feet. It's extremely painful. And as I said, they executed hundreds of prisoners every night. And when I was taken to Evin prison, every night we heard the sound of execution. I was tortured in joint committee integration, but I was sent to Evin to the court and <laughs> my judge was a mullah. And he asked me, would you repent? Repent in public for your political activity standing against the state of God and being Western government's agents, these things. I said, I won't repent with anything. And he said, go. It didn't take more than one minute. He, with his hand, just said, take her out. And the guard took me out. And a few months later, 
they showed me the sentence. But when I had my summary trial, I told my parents that I'll be executed like my friends. Because so many of my friends were executed. So many persons from the thing I was in were taken and were executed. Then I told my parents. My father was extremely shocked and sad. And he said, they can kill you over my death. I won't let them. I tried to call him down, but he was shaking from fear of me being executed and shock. And I was very sorry that I told him, but I had to prepare him and my mom. But in a way, it was good because he went to see so many people in the power and he could change my death sentence to 10 years of imprisonment. But in 1990, they let many of us go. I mean, those who were in prison for eight years, they let us go. And yeah, I was released. But I have to tell you that unfortunately, I mean, now the police uh, shoot protesters in the street and the names of 34 children are published by people that they were killed during the protest. And another shocking thing is uh, last Saturday, on uh, Saturday night, there were widows show fire and heavy shooting in prison, Evin prison, and thousands of prisoners are held in Evin prison. And today I heard that the firefighters who were called to the fire, they counted 149 killed prisoners. I mean, some of the parents were called to go and collect their children's bodies. I saw a clip from a father who said, my son has been shot, but he is alive. He was pleading to people to do something. So the regime gave him his child. These are all students, I mean, school students, most of them, because in the protests, there are still, the protest is going on. There are so many students among the people. The thing that's quite remarkable about that history you're telling and as we're merging it with contemporary events is that you know, this isn't the first time in the history of a post-revolution Iran that fires have killed hundreds of Iranians. I think back to August 19th and the Cinema Rex fire in Abadan that killed 477 Iranians. And then and your own work as well about the persecution of prisoners and how many male prisoners during this period, especially in the, the 1988 massacre of Iranian prisoners. So it is shocking but sadly, not surprising that these sort of events take place within Iranian prisons. Do you think that in this circumstance, this is prisoners revolting and trying to break out? Or is this something far more sinister? Is this the Iranian regime really tightening the screws and conducting massacres like it has done in the past? I'm sure prisoners haven't done anything wrong. You know, it reminds me of 1988 when I was in prison and the regime appointed a committee to choose which prisoner should be killed. And the chair of committee was Raisi, the current president, 
and they executed thousands of prisoners, mostly male prisoners. More than 50 prisoners were taken from the Ving Awazi, and they never came back. I mean, they were executed. And now the regime is trying to suppress this revolution by killing people in the street and in their houses and in prison. I say in their houses because the regime shot people and used shelling to keep people in their houses. There are videos show heavy shooting and shelling from the Iranian regime's forces on people and their houses in Kurdistan and so many killing in Azerbaijan and, yeah, shooting protesters. Yeah, as you say, it's not um, something new, but this protest has spread through the entire country and it includes people of different socioeconomic background. Many children have stopped going to school and instead they try to block the streets, waving their scarves in the air and chanting slogans. The regime has raided universities and schools and arrested the students. They broke hands and legs of students in Sharif University before arresting them. But the good news is on Monday, 10th of October, 8,000 workers in one of the oil refineries in the south started a strike and asked people to stop going to work. Soon, another 8,000 workers in another oil refineries in the south and other workers joined the strike. Hundreds of workers are arrested, but I'm sure other workers will start the strike and join the protest, though they are in the protest because the protests are usually after six o'clock uh, in the evening when it's dark and it's difficult for regime to shoot to realize which one is their guards and it's more difficult for the regime in the dark. Uh, so, yeah, but if the workers and other factories and refineries join the strike, which I think they will, the regime will be kicked out of power sooner. But anyway, people say they won't give up despite the killing. People say they won't give up. They want to kick out the regime. Have you ever wondered if those pointy medieval shoes gave you bunions? Would you be friends with someone who had leprosy in the Middle Ages? And what on earth does that Bluetooth symbol on your phone have to do with the Vikings? I'm Dr Kat Jarman and on Gone Medieval we find those answers for you, talking everything from saints to sacrifices, runes to relics, sex to science. Join me, Dr Kat Jarman, and my co-host Matt Lewis for everything from berserkers to battles and runes to raids. Subscribe to Gone Medieval from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Give us a sense to what extent there is a kind of divide in support between support for the regime and support for the protesters. I mean, we see mass public uprising, and like you say, industries are now joining in strikes in solidarity with those who are protesting against the regime. But there must be still a consolidated, firm base of support for the regime for it to survive. Is this a protest that is tearing apart families? Is it tearing apart communities? Or is it more the case that the current regime has so much political and military power that even if the mass amount of the population are against them, they can still hold on to power. You know, it's uh, very interesting. People are together, except those who are paid by the regime. And it's normal everywhere. All regimes have their supporters because the money that the, the regime gives them. But the rest of people, that is most of the population, are together. It's very interesting. And one thing that is very interesting for me is in a country that the regime tried for 43 years to convince the population that women are inferior to men, the main slogan is women, life, freedom. And the thing is, women issues in Iran isn't only hijab. It includes every aspect of life, from marriage to divorce to custody of children, inheritance, and so on. Just to name one, girls' inheritance is half boys. But going back to the protest, it 
have it spread through the country and it includes people of different socioeconomic background. I don't think people can survive because this time, I mean, if you look at other past uprising, the regime could suppress them after a few days or perhaps one week. Yeah, one week, the last one, by shooting people to their head during the protest, beat them with a button. But this time, it's over a month. And despite all killing and being tortured in prison, outside prison, people haven't given up. And I hear from people I talk to in Iran, and they say, we won't give up. And they say, other people say the same thing. That's why, you know, the regime is trying to spread fear by killing prisoners. But that's interesting. The same, the Saturday night, when people very soon realize that the regime is killing prisoners, actually burning prisoners, and people drove towards the event. There are clips that there is heavy traffic in the roads that goes to the Evin prison. And people gathered um, outside the prison and they started chanting slogans against the regime. You can hear, I mean, when I watch these clips, these uh, videos, the fire is visible and um, the sound of shooting. And later on, we heard that they just shot prisoners, most of them children. And there is another clip that shows guards started the fire on the roof of one of the wing, which um, later on we saw the clips of that wing is burned all through and uh, some prisoners were burned and were suffocated because of the smoke. One thing is, even is in the mountain, and from the town, people could see the fire. That's why they drove to the Evin and because uh, they know the regime now, as you mentioned, the cinema wrecks, how the Islamists burned more than 400 people in the cinema just and say the Shah did that to spread hatred towards the Shah. Shah wasn't good, but the thing is, they, Islamists, wanted to make people in the South stand up against the Shah because by summer 1979, the demonstrations against the Shah was widespread through the country, but the South was silent. So they banned people in the cinema and spread rumors so that uh, Shah did that, and people in South came out against the Shah's regime. I think around the world, people can only admire the bravery of the Iranian people in the face of such violent acts. And it brings me back to your story, because even when you were let out of prison after those gruelling eight years, you didn't leave the country, you went straight back to protesting. Yes, you know, when I came out of prison, the situation in Iran was worse than when I was arrested. I mean. The poverty and unemployment, things like that, like and, um, child workers. And it was heartbreaking. So I was in uh, Iran 
between uh, my release and vaping for three years. And yeah, I was active. Though the activism in that period wasn't like now people go out and chant slogans uh, against the regime and to the face of the guards in the street. The kind of work I did was different. I mean, I was in touch with the workers and things like I was given a book translated by a friend from English and I think German. He, he knew a few languages, which was, sorry, I forgot from whom, but it was against the religion. And when I read it, I, I said to him, it's fantastic. Why don't you publish it? He looked at me and said, do you think I can publish this in this country? I said, I'll publish it. And I went to some publishers and when I showed them the book, they were <laughs> frightened and they said, oh, I wish I could publish it, but they'll close my publishing house and they will arrest me and might execute me. And I said, okay. And, uh, but I found a publishing house and I talked to one of the workers and he said to me, bring it in the evening and collect the books early in at six o'clock before our boss is coming. And I went there, I gave him the book uh, in the evening and for those, there were three workers working in publishing house. They didn't sleep that night and they published the book and gave it to me. I mean, I went with their friend with uh, her car. Uh, they brought the book, book, uh, books and uh, put it uh, in the um, car. And yeah, I mean, if I was arrested again for that, I mean, I know it's crazy. But I was so angry with the regime. And I mean, because of all those executions and uh, losing my friends to execution for what? Just advocating for freedom of expression, for having union. That's all. Well, Nazrin, at what point yeah. did you know it was time to leave? Were you rearrested for that act or did you know that then it was really time to try and escape the country because the next time you'd be arrested would probably be the last? I wasn't rearrested for that. If I was, they wouldn't let me go. But uh, they started to arrest ex-prisoners, my friends. And when I was told that uh, one of my friends was arrested, I realized it's not safe anymore. And my parents were, they were very scared. They told me if they arrest you this time, they will kill you. And they were right, I think. So yeah, I escaped to this country. And how did you get to the UK? You know, at that time, it was a bit easier. I could buy tickets for another country and buy my ticket via London. And I stayed here. I had a um, visa for another country. But when I went to have visa for the UK, they didn't give me. But I could use that way to come here. And the thing is, I was in the blacklist. I couldn't just go and have my passport. I mean, with my friends too. And my friends were healthier than me, despite the torture they experienced as well. 
But, I mean, they could escape through mountains. I mean, they went out of the country with the help of agents. And the agents took them to Turkey, but they had to walk for few days. And one of them walked uh, with her agent in the snow. And she told me she her feet were frozen. And she was telling the agent that she doesn't want to continue walking. She was so cold and tired. So anyway, I wasn't that, so um, I couldn't do that. So my father could um, find someone who deleted my name from the blacklist so I could have my passport and I could escape easily. Though when I was in the airport, it was scary. I mean, anyway, I lost my parents while I was here and um, yeah. Well, we are so glad you were able to make it to the UK and you were taken in. And since then, you've got your degrees in psychology and your master's in international relations, and you've published numerous books on poetry and history, and you bring these stories, which are are so important, not just in terms of documenting that history, but making us understand exactly what is going on today. From those protests that we see on our screens every single day, the oppression of innocent people, but also the Iranian regime's use of military power abroad to keep its international reputation, its ties to great powers, and its ability to continue, therefore, to persecute its own people. And it's it's by telling us this history that we can understand exactly what we're dealing with today. Nasrin, can you tell us where we can read more of your work? Yeah, I uh, published my prison memoir. It's called One Woman's Struggle in Iran, a prison memoir. You can buy it from Amazon or from my publisher. And I have a novel, I mean, I published a novel called um, The Secret Letters from x which is about the history of the Joint Committee Interrogation Center, which I was there for six months. And I have a website and some of my works are in my website. Wonderful. Well, Nazarene, we'll put a link to your website in our show notes so people can access your book, your poetry, and read more about your personal history. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. But before you go, I've got a very exciting special offer for Warfare listeners. Over on History Hit TV, we're building the world's best history channel on demand, and we want to share it with you. When you sign up for a monthly subscription using the code WARFARE, you'll get two things. You'll get two weeks free, followed by your first three months with 50% off. We release two exclusive new documentaries every week, including my new series, Traces of War. And you'll get access to every episode of our ever-growing podcast network, ad-free. So you can listen to Warfare without the interruptions, but also to all our shows like Matt and Cat on Gone Medieval or Tristan on The Ancients. To sign up, just follow the link in the show notes. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hip. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.